Hey everybody, Luke Thomas here. Thank you so much for listening. So I wanted to give a brief intro to this technique talk if I could. I usually just put the raw audio up. This time I wanted to intro it a little bit because obviously things got switched around. So we obviously were anticipating a contest between Habib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson. And that got scrapped on Sunday. And yet prior to that, I had had a conversation with the UFC analyst and commentator Jimmy Smith about it. Now, what you're going to hear ultimately and what the transcript is going to show on MMA fighting is the portion of our conversation related to Rose Namajunas versus Joanna Jacek, and that's fine, and I encourage everyone to check it out and and uh, let the audio do the work or let the, the text do the work or let the combination of the both do the work. But nevertheless, I thought about this and I said to myself, do I really want to eliminate this 20-minute conversation? And I suppose that for some people it would be utterly perfunctory and worthless, but it felt weird taking it out. So here's what I'm going to say. If you want to skip right to the Rose Joanna part, jump about 20 minutes in once the conversation between Jimmy and I begins. Um, otherwise, I'm going to leave the portion of this conversation related to a fight that I realize is not happening anymore. But nevertheless, I wanted to let Jimmy's analysis shine. I thought he had a lot of interesting things to say, and we talk about more than just that fight. So, without further ado, here's Jimmy Smith. All right, I'm here with Jimmy Smith, UFC commentator and analyst. Jimmy, how are you? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me. All right, Jimmy. By the way, what is going to be your responsibility at UFC 223? Um, backup. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be the color for 223 with Joe Rogan, so Anik's going to do play-by-play. And uh, Joe and I are going to be doing color for the first time together. So, man, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's going to be great. It's going to be a night of many firsts. Let's let's start with that main event. Habib Nurmagomedov taking on Tony Ferguson. Let's start with this question, if we can. If someone had to ask me what Daniel Cormier versus John Jones 2 was about, I'm not saying I had the right answer, but for me it was who's the best light heavyweight ever, maybe even who's the best fighter ever. I, I just had a real clear narrative in mind. What is your narrative about this fight? Uh, the, the narrative to me is is I, I, it, it's hard to even when, when I'm studying for this fight, it's hard to even find one thing the guys do that is that similar. You know, they're so different. I don't remember the last time I saw a fight that was this hyped. Maybe Jones, maybe Jones Cormier too, where the guys were so stylistically different. I mean. With Ferguson, it's all about the movement and the odd angles and the creativity and the 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 unorthodox techniques and the risks he takes. And with Khabib, it's about coming forward, walking you down, and smashing you right into the canvas. I mean, the, not only are they they is it you know for the for the lightweight title, it's also a matter of of whose style is going to win out because they're so in incredibly different i mean there's such a contrast that's what i'm really looking forward to is it's kind of the 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 clash of contrast in this fight that's what this fight is about to me does there anything uh, about the stakes of it weigh on you is this a i don't know if this determines the best lightweight ever but there's something interesting right because they are supposed to meet four times and normally the ufc has the luxury of moving on well we're just done with this but literally to move the division forward they can't they have to make this fight what does that say? That says the fans, the fans want it. The fans need it, and the UFC knows that. I mean, nobody got rich telling the fans what to like. You give the fans what they want, and the reason this is happening, and, and you know, they haven't, you know, as you said, moved on from this and just gotten over 
matches, the fans wouldn't accept it. The fans need to watch these two guys fight. All right, so let's start with this breakdown with Nurmagomedov, the specialist. You know, it's interesting. I talked to a lot of experts at the turn of the year, and I got two different perspectives. One was the future of MMA is the guy who can do basically everything at a really high level, which is something that's been repeated for a while. But then I had a couple of experts being like, I'm not so sure that's true. In fact, I think that as everyone goes to this well-roundedness, jack-of-all-trades posture, you're going to see guys like Nurmagomedov. Now, he's rare. Not like you're going to be able to produce it at scale. But the guy who becomes the specialist in the age of generalization, he's going to win out in the end. Which theory do you come down on, and how do you explain Habib's success? Well, there are two things. Number one, um, every fighter, you know, we're kind of looking at it on a scale because, you know, you and I have been around since the beginning of the sport. They're all jack-of-all-trades by comparison. I mean, even the guys that, that aren't great at jiu-jitsu are at least purple or brown belt level. I mean, it's it's back in the day, I mean, guys who weren't jiu-jitsu guys didn't even know jiu-jitsu and barely knew anything. So once again, you have to look at it in a relative scale in terms of even someone who's comparatively uh, uh, a specialist – is still better at the other disciplines than they used to be in the past. They're still incredibly competent at the other things, even if they're considered a specialist. So even that, that label of specialist it isn't what it used to mean back in the day. So I believe that there are more jack of all trades than they've ever been. And this debate is really much more um, ingrained in MMA than anyone really gives it credit for. I mean, I remember calling Ben Askren's fight, and his whole thing was, I'm going to wrestle until someone can out-wrestle me. And that that was it. And that's all he really cared about. And so that idea, you know, Damian Maya, if you talk to jiu-jitsu coaches, a lot of them are like, hey, look at Damian Maya. All he does is jiu-jitsu, and he got to the top of the sport. And it's about not getting away from what made you great. The problem, you know, I think with, with people who believe in that, that specialization is they say, look, as soon as you decide to become well-rounded, you kind of end up getting away from what really got you there. It, you end up getting away from what really made you great. You know, Josh Koscheck, fantastic wrestler, started knocking guys out, kind of fell in love with that power shot. And then, you know, a lot of people thought that hurt his game. He got away from his wrestling. And so that, that, that's a debate that's been huge in MMA for a really long time. Um, I believe it's a combination of, of, you know, like I said, people are getting more well-rounded anyway, but the guys who kind of mentally stick to that one thing and remember what got them there, I think have a little bit of an advantage. How do you account for the incredible success of Habib Nurmagomedov's takedowns in an age where people are not only well-rounded, like you mentioned, like even if they have competent wrestling, that's still pretty competent wrestling, all things considered. And then on top of that, even against good wrestlers, they just can't seem to stop him. Well, you know, I was looking at the Shalaru's fight, which is, was his UFC debut, and Shalaru's had excellent wrestling. And what I love about Khabib is his consistency with the takedown. When you look at high-level wrestling, NCAAs, Olympic trials, Olympic stuff like that, that second and third effort is what really gets you to take down. You hardly ever see, oh, a guy shoots and then he gets him down. They're too good. You got to go that second and third effort where you're getting that scramble and you're really dogging a guy to the ground. If you look at Khabib's fights, he dogs guys to the ground. He just goes after it until they, they, they give up, until they can't do it anymore. And it's that determination, that, you know, dog on a bone kind of mentality. That's what he does. It, is when he gets a takedown, he goes after it. He doesn't get it for a second. He goes after it again. He goes after it again. And eventually they, they just 
physically kind of wear out. And that's what makes him exceptional to me. He's not that explosive. He's not that athletic. He's not like a, a Jordan Burroughs, a Brandon Slade, big double leg takedown. It's more of a grinding single leg until I just can't, I, I, I just can't handle the defense anymore. That's how he does it. Is it, but it's, it has to be more than just a function of effort, right? Because there's a lot of guys who try hard, so so much as you can say that, who don't have quite the success he does. Yet he still stands apart, and I'm trying to I'm trying to grasp why that happens. Yeah, well, 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 well. Part of it is, but if you look at him technically, and, and this is the stunning thing when you look at his takedown in, in, a, in a technical aspect, there's nothing he does to kind of blow. Blows you away. It isn't like wow, what a slick takedown, or wow, he really you know went underneath on the single leg and comes out out the back door. His takedown is fairly basic. I think it's simply a he's he's incredibly strong for this weight class. He's not the necessary. I mean, he's always obviously had trouble cutting weight. But he's not the biggest 55 I've ever seen. He isn't physically that gigantic. It's once again a dogged determination for the takedown. His positioning is good. If you look at it. When he goes for a single leg, for example, his head is always in the right place. He's dogged with the high crotch and the double leg. His technique is always good. But you'll never see that, like, that high level, like, John Smith kind of takedown where you go, wow, that's amazing that he did that. It's fairly basic. He's just incredibly strong. And I think it's really a matter of determination where he doesn't give up until he gets it. I had a great wrestler tell me one time, he said, once your head goes down, you don't come up without a takedown. And he's really kind of taken that to the next level because I'm right there with you. I've been studying his fights for the last week, getting ready for this upcoming card. And and you look for that technical thing that really goes, oh, okay, that, that's how he does it. It's hard to find that. He just sticks with it until he gets it. And I think that's something that a lot of fighters don't have the faith in their gas tank. They don't have the 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 they don't they don't believe they have the resources to go, look, if I don't get this takedown, it's gonna cost me too much. He never, ever thinks that way. He doesn't. How good or bad of a striker is he? That is an excellent question that might determine the fate of this fight. <laughs> because I, I saw him take punches. I mean, if you look at the, uh, I would say the uh, the best example. I mean, you know, the Michael Johnson fight. Like It was like he was walking through punches and, and taking them right on the chin for the first, God, minute of the fight. You know, Johnson looked great. And then he suddenly managed to get that takedown. It's like everything gets reversed. He, he has a habit of walking through punches. He has a habit of walking forward. His style's kind of herky-jerky. He has his chin really high. In the Shalaroos fight, he was eating some you know, eating some shots too until he landed a big one and was able to take him down. Just like he has faith in his gas when it comes to the takedown, he has faith in his, faith in his chin when it comes to the striking. He's willing to take a lot of punches. He's willing to walk through a lot of damage in order to get the get the fight where he wants it. And so that's been the key to his success is I, I know I can take these shots in order to take you down. Now, that attitude might eventually catch up with him, and, and that's what we'll have to see with, with uh, Tony Ferguson. Okay, so is there any way to describe his level of technical proficiency? Because part of it is like, I mean, he stood for Michael Johnson for a while and it didn't go well. The other part of it is like, you talk to Javier Mendez and that's his coach. You're going to get the most charitable version of things. But yeah. he seems to think that his striking is better. We just don't see a lot of it. How open to that theory are you? I can't comment on things I haven't seen. And I've heard that a lot from coaches like, man, you should see him in the gym with this. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not in the gym, man. You know, I have to watch his professional fights in order to have any any idea of what he has. All we can do is look at his fights. And he relies on his power. 
He relies on his chin. He relies on his durability. Um, you know, he, he's one of those guys where in, in the Edson Barbosa fight, for example, he was facing a kicker. And he knew if I move forward and I get inside kicking range, I'm not that concerned about this guy's hands. So he was at least aware of the range problem, where if I can get inside, I don't have to worry about it. It was, it was uh, you know, Krokop Fedor. If I get inside, I don't have to worry about that head kick. And that's what he kept doing. He kept moving inside. He kept keeping the fight at a range that benefited him. So he has a very good understanding of that. But he has always relied on his ability to take a shot to get inside. He's always relied on that. For any reason that you want to label it as such, what is the most interesting performance by Habib Nurmagomedov in your mind? That's an excellent question. Um, I would say the Johnson fight because they're so, they're, 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 it was like two different fights. I mean, on the feet, it was Johnson was looking great. He was landing shots. And Khabib never, never seemed to panic. He never seemed to get overly concerned. He never seemed to lose the game plan. He seemed to... to to kind of just stick with it, go through the strikes, take him down. And remember when he got him down, man, it was brutal. The ground and pound was vicious, got to Kimura, a great finish. I think that's one of the, the best performances of his career. And it shows the sides we're talking about. It shows the vulnerabilities that, in a sense, make him interesting. It's the vulnerabilities in this fight that people don't talk about that I think really make it interesting and really compelling. And it's one of the reasons the fans want to see it. So let's get let's use that uh, vulnerability. Let's put it in a, our pocket for just a minute. Let's talk about Tony Ferguson. Here's a guy who really is his own man. Now he has somehow followed the script in the sense that he is well rounded. He can strike a little bit. Obviously, his jujitsu is very interesting, especially off of his back when he wants to use it. And his wrestling, folks forget that's actually his original base to begin with. So he has it covered in that sense. And yet, if you are asked to describe him, he feels very much his own man. How do you think of Tony Ferguson's game? Funky. I mean, first thing I think about is is creative, funky, unorthodox, hard to time, um, really creative. It's just, but once again, um, this is a guy. You know, figured, you know the 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 land of Venata fight. This is a guy who tends to eat a lot of punches and and is is content to stand there and bang. And what I looked for in that fight, for example, when I was studying him, was he got hit, he got rocked, he almost got finished, and you didn't see him dive for a takedown. You didn't see that at all. It was, I'm going to stay on the feet, and I'm going to get this fight back, and I'm going to hurt this guy. There was no sense of that wrestling in his back pocket. That he's going to use it when he's in trouble. He wants to stand and trade and get it back. Doesn't matter what his condition is. That just isn't where his head went. So his style is, is confrontational. He wants to stand up and bang. He doesn't care what's going on in the fight. He really has faith he can put anyone away. What's the best thing that he does? Wow. Um, his best weapon it has to be his front chokes. You know, great guillotines, great darts chokes, anaconda, that positioning. If you leave your neck out, you are in deep trouble. I think that's his best finishing move. Also, his timing. He catches guys on the feet right in mid-punch. Great counter-punching. Part of his movement is it sets up a lot of counter-punches. So I think his best weapons are his front chokes when he gets your neck and his counter-punches when he's on the feet. Now, the striking defense is part of this, so I know in a sense you've kind of already answered this, but let me ask it a bit of a different way. Is Tony Ferguson's l lack of risk aversion a net positive for him or a net negative for him? You know, it's so hard because with so many fighters, you know, their strength is their weakness. And his counterpunching, his, his, 
His his defense, where he keeps his hands low and he moves his head a lot, has led to problems. But it's also led to some of his biggest knockouts with the counter shot. So they're they're connected at the hip. You can't really remove one from the other. He, he takes tremendous tremendous risks on the feet, but so far he's you know he's reaped incredible rewards from that position as well. So it's you you can't separate the two. His biggest strength is his biggest weakness. The fact that he he does walk right into the storm, throwing punches, is a great thing. It's one of the reasons the fans love him. But will it catch up to him against a guy like Khabib, who likes to throw heavy, heavy shots? You can't separate the two. Now, the interesting thing about Habib is his game is not that everybody watching can appreciate all the technical intricacies, but you basically know what he's up to, right? It's, it's sort of easy to follow and map in your mind. And Ferguson, you get a sense of the complexion of his game. And we talked about the thing he's maybe best at. But here's something I would like to ask you that you know, I know you, looking at the tape, could probably be best situated to, to identify. What is something that he's really good at that he gets no credit for? Or it's just not a part of his reputation? Um, you know, I know he gets credit for his cardio, but I still think people don't appreciate the fact that he fought Rafael Dos Anjos in the sky in Mexico. It's just sort of for five rounds. I mean, it's sort of unbelievable that he was able to do that. Is there something else in your mind that stands out to you as an underappreciated ability that he has? For uh, uh, Ferguson, I, his mental toughness, I think, is is really underrated because he's so slick, because he's so unorthodox, because he's so, you know, uh, like I said, creative. People don't realize how mental we see. We, we tend to see people like Khabib as mentally tougher, the walking guys down. We tend to see them as kind of harder than a guy like Tony Ferguson. Ferguson has fought the best of the best, like you said, defeating Dos Anjos in Mexico City. I've never seen him mentally waver. I've never seen him question himself. I've never seen him get down on himself. I've never seen him uh, have those stumbling blocks mentally. That a lot of fighters who have been through the kind of wars he's been through, they have those moments. It's hard to find them in Ferguson. He's incredibly mentally strong. Khabib beats a lot of guys before they get in there with him. That will not happen with Ferguson. He really believes he's the best lightweight in the world, and he believes he can beat anyone on any night. That mental toughness that hardness that a lot of fighters that are more i don't know how to put it more 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 basic we tend to give them more credit for that you know we, we never see roy jones jr as a mentally tough kind of guy he was you know and and so uh Bergson has that kind of style that slick you know a lot of movement very very fun kind of style we don't tend to see those guys as tough i think he's very very mentally tough doesn't get enough credit for it so you mentioned the vulnerabilities of either and how that might make this fight interesting. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, Khabib walks into shots. He just has his, his chin very high. He has a lot of faith in his ability to take a shot. It makes him incredibly vulnerable on the feet. Tony Ferguson is another one of those guys who on the feet takes a lot of risks. Hands really low. He likes to counter shots. invites his opponent in. But we've seen him eat punches from... The best examples of Van Adafi, that spinning spinning shot, almost put him out completely. I mean, he was almost done at the end of the first round against a guy who was unranked. I guess a guy nobody really expected that much of. He ate a lot of shots and almost got finished in that fight. And so both guys take a lot of risks on the feet. They're willing to take a shot because they believe it's going to work out in the end. And so that moment when they're both willing to get hit, that's when the magic really happens. Uh, once his fight's on the ground, as tricky as... Ferguson has been with his rubber guard attacks and everything. I definitely get the edge on top to Khabib. So to me, the part with the most uh, the most interesting set of possible outcomes 
comes is on the feet because both guys, man, they take a lot of risks. They're extremely vulnerable. Do you have a sense of how this fight might look? You mentioned the takedown and then Habib being on top, and certainly I'm in no position to disagree. So I don't mean early. I mean, hard for me to imagine Tony's going to get put away early. So this one's probably going to go a little bit later. Habib never been to the fourth and fifth round. This is space where Tony has lived comfortably, but he might be on his back for a big portion of that. What is it going to look like late? That's what I, that's what that's what me and everybody else cannot wait to see mentally at the end of the third round. No matter what happens at the end of the third round, if Ferguson is standing in his corner and yelling across the cage, you know, talking trash to Khabib and he's in a good spirits, it might be a totally different fight because you see a lot of fighters at the end of dealing with Khabib's takedown, they kind of mentally just wear out. They just, you know, they just get broken by Khabib and his pressure and his ground and pound. If at the end of the third, no matter what happens, if Tony's bouncing around and he's feeling good and feels like this is his fight, that could be the turning point. Khabib's never really seen that. He's never had to deal with somebody who who was fresh and tough at the end of, at the end of a third round moving into the championship rounds and that would be a serious turning point in this fight if he can take the pressure of Khabib and still be Tony Ferguson that could be the turning point in the fight end of the third round see who's mentally tougher is the winner of this the best lightweight in the world in your opinion in my opinion yes um obviously Conor McGregor would have to come back and 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 you know win and win the title and silence all the doubters. And that would be an amazing fight, an amazing achievement. But right now, as we are talking, the winner of this fight is, is in my opinion, the best lightweight in the world. Uh, and you can't hold your spot, in a sense. You, you have to look at who's active and who's fighting and, and who's winning belts, and that's the winner of this fight. All right, let's transition, if we can, because I, I went a little long there, uh, to the co-main event. All right, so this is a bit of a different fight. You want to get Jacek taking on Rose Namajunas. It's a rematch. What do you make of their first fight? I think some people definitely predicted Rose would rise to the occasion, but that was an absolute dramatic blowout in every sense possible. It wasn't even close. Easiest fight of Rose Namajunas's UFC, maybe even professional MMA career. What? What? Why did that happen? Man, that's a tough one. Well, the thing is, is that I think. I think Yanjechik just didn't expect that kind of fight out of Nami Yunus. Nami Yunus known more for her ground game, known for more for her, her submission ability. She just didn't expect that kind of fight. And Nami Yunus took it to her, put her on her heels early, and by the time she adjusted or even attempted to adjust, she was out. And the problem is there's the fight you prepared for, and there's the fight you get. And that's one of those examples, I think, of – the champ, Nami, uh, the champ, uh, Jacek, getting a different fight than she was prepared for. She wasn't ready for this kind of Rose Nami Yunus. So you could say that's an advantage moving forward, but psychologically, uh, the edge belongs to the champ. But I think it was a matter of I didn't expect this kind of fighter tonight. I wasn't ready for this kind of person. And before she could get into later rounds and maybe make those tactical adjustments, the fight was over. And so she never had a chance to adjust properly. Tactically, does it make sense to try to go after Yin Jacek early? I spoke with um, uh, Stephen Wright, who the, the war man, the, the coach, who has coached Johnny Hendricks and a number of other fighters, and he has long followed Yin Jacek's Muay Thai career, and he noted that you know she's built to go the distance. She's built to win rounds. So you can't exactly be you know crazy with her, but sort of driving against that ability of hers to prolong the fight, is that really the best way to go forward? I think so, 100%. Now, 
when you say going forward, you're dealing with a rematch where she got blasted early. So she's going to be, I think, more mentally prepared for that kind of fight. But I still think it's the right way to go. I really do. When you talk about when you talk about Yunjaychik, she throws outstanding combinations, very tall, very rangy. She has excellent power. But like you said, it's a matter of her banking rounds. That's what she's really great at. And so whenever you take on a fighter like that, get after them early. Um, put them on the defensive. Don't let them throw that combination uh, because she's dealing with your punch. And so I do think tackling is a great way to go. It's going to be harder this time around. Nami Yunus has a popular, and, and even heading into that fight, had a popular identity as a public figure. But it, it seemed to me that folks don't realize how young she is, right? Incredibly uh, youthful. And so her game is in this position where it's able to develop at a rapid rate, even though people think they have this sort of firm idea of who she is, which is the, actually the case with Yin Jacek. So here's the question. Between the two fights, for someone like Nami Yunus in her early to mid-20s, how much improvement is actually possible? A lot. And when I've called fights with, with, with young fighters, I try to, you know, keep that in mind and, and, and always tell the fans, look, you may not get the same fighter two fights in a row. They're developing so fast. It isn't somebody like a, you know, a GSP who's been in the game forever. We know exactly what he does. We know his skill set. When they're that young, man, there are dramatic changes, dramatic improvements in between fights. I mean, between one fight and another, you have a totally different fighter. And that's where uh, Rose Namunas could certainly be. And that's what makes it so makes her so scary as a champion. Do you think there's anything special about the way those two match up? In other words, like Kovalkiewicz beat Namajunas, but Kovalkiewicz couldn't beat Yan Jacek, but yet Namajunas beat Yan Jacek. Is there something unique about that pairing? <sighs> that's a tough one because the last fight was so short. I mean, we really didn't, I mean, it was, it, I mean, just like you, I was looking at the screen stunned. I just couldn't believe what Nama Yunus was doing. Now, was it a great night and she had a great fight and she had a great performance or is she an all-time great fighter? That's the question we're really asking ourselves at this point. Did Nama Yunus just have a great night that night or is this the new Nama Yunus? That's the thing about combat sports that's so interesting. We've seen over and over throughout combat sports history and boxing and everything, some fighters have that great night where they're just magical. And they never, they, you know, that Buster Douglas moment, they never have it again. Other fighters, they have a great fight, and that's the new version of that fighter. And what I want to see, what you want to see, what everyone wants to see is, is Rose Namunas really this good? Or did she just have a great night that night? I think that's a huge question that fans want answered. And that's one of the intriguing things about this rematch is we kind of knew how great in was. We, we already knew how great she was. We didn't know Namunas was that great. So the question is, is she that great? And, and that, that, that's a huge, uh, you know, that's a huge uh, theme of this fight that I think is fascinating. Was the fact that the stoppage came quick a bit of solace for Ian Jacek? In other words, she did lose, and that had to be terrible. But she didn't get beaten from pillar to post over the course of three rounds, like like in the way, for example, that Ian Jacek beat Jessica Penny. So it was quick. It was over. It was decisive. It's bad, but it's salvageable. Is that is that a? Do you think she's thinking that way in any way capacity? Really interesting to me is the mentality of this fight and it's the mentality of the way in Jacek is seeing the rematch. She's talked about she had bad nutrition before. The cut was much harder. I wasn't physically all the way there. This fight was a fluke. She's saying a lot of things where 
I'm, I'm deadly serious. I always look for this, especially in a rematch, is what I call winner blaming, okay? Oh, they didn't fight me like they should have fought me. They fought, you know, they tried to wrestle. They didn't want to strike with me. They, they blame the person who beat them for not fighting the right kind of fight. And it's a mental way of going, of kind of, of, of not having to really face the loss. Now, she's not doing that, but she is saying a lot of things that are, that are around the fight that hurt her performance. Now, she could just be saying those things, but when she's back in the gym with her coaches, she's going, look, look, I got caught with left hook. I shouldn't have gotten caught with. We need to tighten that up. But you always wonder how squarely a fighter is looking at a loss. You know what I mean? Where they are they looking at, well, it was quick and I just got caught and I, you know, it was a fluke. I wasn't on that night. Or is she going back to the gym and saying, these are the tactical things I need to improve in order to beat Rosanami Yunus. That's the question that I can't answer, that only the people in her camp can answer, that she could answer, but she probably wouldn't tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, you know, is she making the tactical adjustments she needs to make? Because she's, in many ways, in the interview she's given, she's kind of written off the loss. That can be a good thing. And that you said you can mentally kind of go, ah, that was a fluke, I'm fine. But it can be a bad thing if you aren't technically addressing your issues in the gym. What would you say is, how would you best describe the maturation and the technical development of Rose, Nama Yunus? Well, wow, leaps and bounds. I mean, she looked like a different fighter against Yanjichik. And what I liked about it is she's always had the, she's always had the mental toughness. She's always had the confidence. I think her willingness to, and the, the, the timing on that left hook, her willingness to throw it and the timing were absolutely perfect. Her stand-up looked phenomenal. The way she transitioned from the punch on the feet to the ground and pound, and it was it was really a sight to behold. Her maturation, her evolution was really stunning in that last fight. Okay. Uh, what was interesting to me about the fight was, if you go back to the previous performances where Ian Jacek had problems yep. against Andrade, let's say, but it was all yeah. it was all that her offense was muted through wrestling, and then here comes someone out there slugging with her, so and and, and getting the better of her uh, by by a dramatic margin. Is that why we were partly surprised? Was that all the known vulnerabilities we thought of her? Like here's the known universal vulnerabilities when you check, and then Namunis came in and slashed that to pieces. Is that part of the surprise? A hundred percent. I mean, that's what really got me. Is is you know me and and just about everyone else thought that that would be be kind of the strategy for Rose would be that, uh, like Andrade, you know, you in the takedown, trying to smother her, get her submission game going. And it was, I'm going to stand and bang with her. And she did it. She was successful. She got an early stoppage, which meant, and I, and I mean early, I mean early in the fight. It wasn't a bad stoppage. Um, Jacek never got a chance to adjust to the fighter she was seeing in front of her. I think she thought the same thing everybody else thought. That I got to watch the takedown. I have to, be, I have to look out for her. For her wrestling, I'm gonna worry about the submission game. It didn't occur to her that she was gonna have to deal with a striker, and she ended up dealing with a heavy-handed, very technical striker who was extremely aggressive. She wasn't ready for that kind of fight. All right, so that takes me to sort of a bit of a different issue here related to it. Um, let me look at my notes here for just a second. By the way, we have a few more minutes. I'm going a little long. Is that okay, bro? Come on. I just gotta make. I gotta make sure, man. I gotta. I gotta make sure. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about the vulnerabilities of Yanjaychik. Oh, here it is. Here's my notes. Okay. Is part of this issue for Rose, one of the major competitive advantages I think she has, and I would like to get your opinion about it, is we mentioned what Yanjaychik does well. 
She wins rounds. She can go the distance if need be. Now, she, of course, has put beatings on other competitors at times, but against the very, very, very best she's had to offer, it's had to go a distance. Is that a competitive disadvantage because it allows someone like Nami Yunus, who not only is growing themselves at a younger age in their skill set, but you've got this mountain of available tape to watch, at least your coaches do, to get exactly all the tendencies down that can appear round by round, situation by situation, stance by stance, that you just give this person so much examination that they can have. So big, so big. Whenever I whenever I talk to fighters about that, you know, and fighter meetings and stuff like that, I talk about the availability of tape. I mean, you have years and years and years of five round fights. You know everything this person is going to do. They've shown what they do when they're under duress. They show what they do when they're dealing with a grappler. They show what they're doing when they're dealing with a striker. There's no situation in which you haven't seen this person perform. You can break it down step by step. I think that is a huge advantage for a fighter is to to, to take on somebody who's A, been through a lot of rounds and uh, B, had a long career. You can see everything they've done, the way they react to everything. It's easy to, not easy, but you can certainly game plan for them a lot easier than a fighter that that is A, just just getting started in their career, or B, hasn't been in a lot of situations and rounds. Huge advantage. Yeah. Uh, okay. And the other interesting component here for Rose Namajunas is prior to this contest, would you say there was anything in her library that could have, at least in part, foretold what had happened against Ian Jacek? When you look at her fights and you try to go back and pick up at the pieces, it couldn't have just sprung out of nothing, right? Like, where is there a fight in close proximity to that Ian Jacek one where you could see the the seeds being planted? Man, it's it, it's hard for it's hard for me to think of one. I, I certainly can't, and I it, nothing springs out of nowhere. It springs out of the gym, you know. It springs out of out of you know right. the, the 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 practice we don't get to see, which is the hard part. But I mean, I remember uh, looking at a lot of Rose Namunis' fights before that. And there just wasn't really a performance like that. I mean, there wasn't anything I could see. I mean, the, the, the other example we used before, you know, there was a great quote about Buster Douglas. He said, it never looked that good before, and he's never looked that good since. You know, there was nothing before that performance that made you think this guy was going to do that. Uh, and not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not comparing them in terms of longevity, but that ability of that fight kind of leaping out of nowhere. I don't remember a performance before that that stands out that I thought, oh, okay, that, that, you know, like I said, the seeds would have been planted there. There really wasn't anything like that. Hmm, that's crazy. Now, here's the interesting thing that sort of occurs to me about both of these fights. On the one hand, you have men's lightweight. I would humbly submit to you is the best um, uh, division in all of MMA, but certainly on the men's side of the game. And then on the women's side, I would also submit to you that women's straw weight is probably your best for action. Number one, I guess I would ask is, do you share my enthusiasm for those weight classes? And, and then two... Um, if you do, then this has to be no accident that you've not just, of course, you could put any two fights you want on a card, but rather that the anticipation for these fights on a technical level as well as a narrative level, um, they can come from any division, but they come more easily from these two. I completely agree. I, I completely agree with you. I think lightweight division has, has traditionally been, as far as men men's MMA, the best, the best or one of the best consistently i mean throughout mma history um and i don't think now is any exception when you look at the talent level at 155 it's incredible and 115 i think it's a big step the next step in women's mma i think kind of has taken place in that we had great standout fighters we didn't have great divisions 
you know, we had we had Cyborg, we had Ronda Rousey before her, you know, Gina Carano, and and it was a it was a one woman show. It was you tuned in to see this one fighter, not necessarily to see someone dethrone them or to see the division. That is changing. Women's MMA is becoming a division. We're talking about who could be the next challenger, who could be the next champion. That was the next step, I think, that was really necessary in the evolution of women's mixed martial arts, was having divisions that were compelling. And I think 115 is the most compelling women's division, and that step up is huge for women's MMA. We're not just talking about the champ. We're talking about who the champ could face, and that evolution, unbelievably necessary. Uh, Certainly, I would... I would share that consensus. I guess my question would then be, what is it about 115? Is it the same reason that 155 is so good that a lot of the bigger athletes go on to something else, or in the case of women, that the the very, very large weight classes, um, I, I don't know what they produce. I guess women's MDA would be like the very, very height, uh, heightened example of that, but that there's something about that 115 as a weigh-in mechanism. Sweet spot in terms of body composition, speed, agility, strength. Is it is it is that what it is? At one fifteen, there's a lot of them, and they all are able to possess a lot of these incredible physical attributes at the same time. Yeah. Also, they're the right size. Just like you know, men's one fifty five, one forty five. They're small enough that you see a lot of techniques, but they're powerful enough that they can knock each other out. You know, when you look at the heavyweight division, you don't see a lot of De La Hiva guard and this cool stuff and a lot of mobility because they're just too big for that. You know, you don't want to pull deep half guard, <laughs> you know, against a heavyweight, all right, against Nganu. You know, you're going to pick your head up out of the third row. Mm. So you just see a lot of different techniques, but you still see excellent power. And I think 115 in women's is, is, is like you said, that sweet spot where – they're big enough that we see some excellent striking exchanges, but they're small enough that we see a lot of speed, we see a lot of angling, we see a lot of different techniques, we see a lot of mobility. It's the the female equivalent of like a 45-55, where a, guys like us who appreciate a lot of different aspects of MMA, you see all of those aspects. You know, when Cyborg fights her opponents at 145, it's it's a slugfest. I mean, they, they stand and trade. It's a lot of fun, but, you know, they stand and trade a lot. Those are big, strong women. 115, they're strong, but they're lean, and they're fast, and they there's a lot of mobility, there's a lot of versatility, a lot of combinations, and I think that's what makes it so exciting. They can do everything. So I'll end with this. I want to make a bold proclamation, and if I've gone too far, by all means correct me, but I've just got a feeling about these two. Now look, these two fights, I mean. I don't know if they're going to be uh, a major dramatic draw on pay-per-view. I don't know. In the end, both fights could end up being boring. I I find that unlikely, but it is, of course, possible. You have to at least consider that possibility. However, what I would submit, Jimmy, is that at least on paper, in terms of what you can reasonably expect from two championship fights at the highest level between uh, four different competitors and four different positions in their lives, one's a rematch, between two rivals, these other guys try to fight three times, it hasn't worked, this is the fourth. But you look at these two divisions, you look at these four fighters, you look at the way they match up and what they can offer. This is basically about as good as MMA gets. Again, I'm not guaranteeing you we're going to get the two best fights of our lives or the two best selling fights of our lives. But I am just sort of saying on paper when you think about like what is really awesome, high level, top of the food chain MMA look like, it looks like this. I agree 100,000%. Phenomenal. You can't you can't believe how excited I was to get the call that I'm gonna be calling this fight. It was huge. It was huge. I couldn't wait. This is the card I was looking forward to. I was thinking, I was thinking about going out to New York anyway just to check out the fight. And 
this is what MMA fans live for. These two fights have every subplot, they have every dramatic angle, they have anything, they have everything you watch MMA for, they have everything you watch combat sports for is encapsulated to me in these two fights. It doesn't get any better. Jimmy Smith, UFC analyst and commentator. Have fun at UFC 223 with Joe Rogan and John Anik. And uh, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot, man. I'll have a great one. All right, Jimmy. Thank you so much, buddy. Really appreciate your time. No problem, brother. Thanks for having me, dude. Take care.